Cassat Podcast Network. Welcome to Season 5 of Cassat Conversations, a holistic look at mental health. Join us for a series of thought-provoking conversations that delve into the vast dimensions of mental well-being. From the intricate link between physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects of well-being to the latest scientific research, practices, and therapies, we navigate the multifaceted landscape of mental health together. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Welcome to today's conversation. Today we have Dr. Felipe Schuch. Felipe obtained his master's and doctorate degrees in medical sciences and psychiatry from the Federal Federal University of Rio Grande do Sul. He is currently an adjunct professor at the Federal University of Santa Maria. Welcome, Felipe. It's nice to have you here today. Thank you very much, Peter, for having me. It's a great pleasure for me to talk with you all. So as we get started, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about yourself so that our listeners can get to know you and understand your work. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, so I graduated in physical education, like exercise sciences here in Brazil. Uh, and I have been working in the mental health field area since 2008, probably. Uh, and my major research focus is in trying to understand how physical activity and exercise in movement in general can help uh, people with mental uh, health problems and how to how to and how how exercise can make people feel better. This is basically what I'm trying to understand very briefly. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I can't wait for you to share your research with us. It's such an important topic as we look at mental health holistically. Um, as we dive in, can you just share with us some of the physical, um, some of the physical and mental benefits of physical activity? I feel like physical activity from a public health perspective, right? Like it's like, we all know we should be exercising um, and that there are benefits, but if you can just highlight those from your perspective. Everybody knows that exercise have physical and mental health benefits. Uh, and obviously I'm much more interested in trying to understand what are the mental health benefits of exercise. And we have, seen some research that we have published in the past years that, for example, uh, more active people, uh, they are more, they are less likely to develop depression and anxiety. For example, one study that we published in 2018 in the American Journal of Psychiatry uh, demonstrated that those that have higher levels of physical activity are, are about to 17 less likely to develop depression. Uh, and in another paper published in 2019, we have demonstrated that uh, physical activity has protective effect, uh, effects against anxiety uh, diagnosis and symptoms. Uh, and the protective effect uh, is about uh, to 23%. So Basically, uh, what changed in the past few years is that we could 
provide an estimate of the effect size or understand more precisely how much exercise is beneficial in terms of protection uh, against mental health problems, mainly depression and anxiety. And some other uh, of our findings is th are that um, physical activity, uh, that any physical activity can be beneficial. Like we know, for example, from a, pub a paper published in 2022, that uh, we don't need to uh, spend lots of hours exercising. And we know that, for example, every step counts. We know that even little amounts of physical activity can be related to a lower risk of de developing depression. And uh, that's a, a good mess message for uh, in terms of public health because uh, some people uh, may find challenging to achieve the public health recommendations of 150 minutes of moderate and vigorous physical activity per week. And as long as we can say that we, you can already uh, get some benefits from lower amounts, it may facilitate for some people to engage in at some level of physical activity. So, uh, yes, this is uh, something that's quite interesting from our perspective. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, we have seen that especially for people with mental health problems, physical activity can be beneficial for their physical health. Uh, because as some colleagues demonstrated that people with mental disorders there, they have uh, life expectancies shortened by 10 to 20 years, depending on the diagnosis and other uh, comorbid conditions. But we have seen that the life expectancy is lower in this in this population. It, this is uh, this can be largely attributed to other physical health conditions like metabolic diseases, like diabetes, like hypertension, and other conditions. And we know that physical activity can reduce the risk of the developing cardiometabolic diseases. So this can be particularly beneficial for this population and for this group. It also, I think, speaks to that interconnection inter between the mind and the body. Um, and I'm curious, you know, from a directional standpoint, like how does the how does physical activity impact the mind? Well, there are many, many ways. Uh, we, uh, basically, we uh, try to understand uh, the, or the, the, the effects of physical activity uh, in, in the, using the neurobiological perspective or using the psychosocial perspective. Uh, we believe that physical activity can uh, impact the mind through, uh, for example, improving self-esteem, by improving self-efficacy, like uh, something that's quite common for people with mental health problems is, is, uh, is low esteem. It's like they feel that they can't do anything, that they feel they are not capable of doing anything, they don't have energy, and they think that they, are, uh, they will fail in everything they try to do. And eventually when you uh, start to exercise with someone with depression, for example, and you can demonstrate that he or she is able to 
exercise to do some uh, amount of physical activity and have success in that, that's something that's quite beneficial. And people, when they experience success in exercise, this feeling can be uh, translated to other areas of the per individual's life. And this feeling may serve as a motivation and to try new things and to change the behavior in any other ways. So these are some uh, aspects and some benefits of, uh, of the exercise. And also we have some, some other mechanisms relate, some other uh, uh, psychosocial uh, mechanisms relate to the feeling of being connected to other persons. So while you are exercising, eventually you are connecting to other people and these uh, unspecific effects of exercise of being connected to other people, of uh, socialization, like you can say, uh, can also have some impact and can explain some par a part of the uh, effects of exercise and mental health. Uh, some other mechanisms, and during the pandemic, we could uh, note how important it is, is distraction. Uh, when we our exercising, we can like focus in other things, not staying ruminating in our bad feelings, in our bad moods, and eventually just thinking something else that's not uh, our negative feelings can make us feel a little bit better. But also uh, about the neurobiological mechanisms, we have some uh, potential explanations that relate to the effects that exercise may have on neuroplasticity. Like we know that people with mental health disorders, they uh, have structural and functional changes in the brain. Uh, and we know that exercise can change and can impact some uh, brain structures like the hippocampus, for example. So we know that depression is associated with a lower, uh, a smaller uh, hippocampus. And we, on the other hand, we know that exercise can increase the hippocampal volume. So it's a potential, uh, there's a potential link in this. Uh, what, so uh, in the, uh, when exercise can increase the hippocampus and maybe this increase can be associated with uh, symptom improvement. Uh, another potential mechanism relates to inflammation. So. We know that people with depression, they are in a pro-inflammatory state, like they are inflamed uh, systemically. And we know that acutely exercise increases inflammation because there's muscle, da uh, muscle damage and uh, the release of some pro-inflammatory markers. But there is a, an adaptive response where it, in subsequent to the uh, pro-inflammatory uh, markers release, there is a re there's the release of anti-inflammatory markers. And this upregulation up may uh, be beneficial to people with mental health disorders. Uh, as we know that people with depression and anxiety and schizophrenia and bipolar disorders, for, for example, they have uh, they are in a pro-inflammatory state. So maybe exercise can make can bring balance to the system, and this can explain part at least the effects of exercise uh, on mental health outcomes. Thank you for highlighting all of that, um, especially the brain structure, right? Like how exercise can can change our brain structure. Um, it's fascinating. 
I'm curious, um, does it matter what kind of exercise you do um, in order to support mental health? Like, are there certain types that are better for mental health or what does that look like? The best exercise is the one that is actually done. So <laughs> that's a, a very important question. And we have seen some meta-analysis that actually doesn't matter that much what kind of exercise uh, if it's aerobic or if it's anaerobic or, in other words, if it's running, if it's uh, walking, if it's uh, strength training, it doesn't matter that much. The effects are quite similar. But we have seen that the context of the exercise or what, uh, what is related, where the exercise happens, when it happens, and who is together when you are exercising are potentially more important than the exercise type itself. We have seen, for example, that the domain uh, of the physical activity and the exercise matters a bit more than the, uh, the type of physical activity. Like domain, I mean, uh, doing exercise and physical activity for leisure, for fun, may be more beneficial than doing exercise when you are commuting or uh, exercise or physical activity or exercise when you are working, for example, or or physical activity for uh, home like, uh, chores, like it's it's much different. So we have seen that, for example, people spending long hours uh, on physical activity while they are working, they may have much less benefit and and even some detrimental effects on mental health outcomes uh, compared to people that are not engaging in that much physical activity. So uh, doing exercise because it's fun, because you enjoy, because it's the activity that makes you feel better uh, is much more beneficial than just doing exercise because you have to do, because it's part of your, your work, for example. That makes so much sense to me. I work with a researcher, Dr. Brent Ruby, who has studied wildland firefighters and he studied them across the course of a season. And there, um, in his research, he's found some deterioration at the end of the the wildland fire season. Um, and right, let's uh, they're doing an incredible amount of physical activity in their work, uh, but it is connected to work and not to the leisure and the fun, which is really interesting. Yeah, indeed. It seems that having fun and enjoying the activity is an important factor for for having some benefits from that. So if you are doing something because you are uh, obligated to do, not the same fun and it's not the same benefit. There is an interesting uh, paper from Marcus Gerber from Switzerland where uh, the title is uh, No Fun, No Gain. That's like the opposite idea of the no pain, no gain uh, way of thinking. And that basically highlight the importance of enjoying the exercise, that having fun when you are exercising, because when you are having fun, having fun may potentialize the benefits and the effects of exercise. I love that. It's so counterintuitive to a lot of the ways that I think people train sometimes, right? That no pain, no gain. Um, and I love that no faint, no fun, no gain. That's really cool. Yeah. So I think that the no pain, no gain, um, it's a, 
the one of the worst things that happened to physical activity and exercise area is the worst message possible because it's quite easy to make someone uh, feel pain and feel uncomfortable when you are exercising. And obviously people that are just not feeling comfortable and are experiencing pain, they are less likely to engage in physical activity and exercise. And this is one of the reasons that we believe that many people just don't like exercise because the focus has been so much in trying to improve fitness and trying to be, uh, trying to change their body composition. And when they are trying to do that, they, they just ignore their feelings. They just ignore that they need to feel well to engage in a behavior. And they are just putting uh, so much effort and just ignoring that in a, uh, to be sustainable, the, any behavior, it must make me make you feel good and also bring, bring benefits and bring changes and you have to achieve aims. But to be sustainable, you have to, to feel good while you are doing something. Well, it also makes me think about like part of the benefit of physical activity is to support, you know, your physical health, um, which is your body. But if you're punishing your body, <laughs> then and it, it bodes that it might not actually be the best for your physical health. Like if you, you know, whereas if you're caring for your body and doing something that feels good, that that would have better benefits. I mean, it just, it, it makes sense now that you explain it that way. Yes, indeed. So yeah, you, the exercise that makes you feel good, the best one. So in the more, the most sustainable one as well. And as I said, the best exercise is the exercise that is actually done. And to be engaged in a long term, you just try to find out the best activity that makes you feel mm. better. And when we think about length of time, you mentioned a little bit, you know, that a little bit is better than nothing. Um, but I'm curious, uh -huh. you know, I guess we always want to know... Um, kind of like that minimum dosing effect. And so what, you know, what is that minimum dosing effect? Yeah, that's a good question. So in one paper, we could uh, calculate the minimal effects uh, to have some benefit. And we actually seen that uh, during the half of the public health recommendations, about 75 minutes of moderate vigorous, vigorous physical activity per week is already associated to about 15 less likely, uh, lower chances of developing depression. So uh, that means about to 15 minutes per day can be already associated to a lower risk of developing depression. Uh, and it's it's much easier for for a vast the vast majority of the population that are not active to achieve seventy five minutes than achieving hundred and fifty. So and that's a, a quite important public health message and saying okay if you just doing physical fifteen minutes per day you can already benefit from mm -hmm. exercise. I'm curious why don't you think that that's part of the messaging that we use. <laughs> Because, I mean, it's like the 150 minute, you know, it's, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just curious if you have any insights on that. Yeah, this, we have just demonstrated that uh, past year and uh, eventually the public health message is not uh, built 
on quite recent evidence and they are built also considering other health outcomes. So for achieving metabolic benefits, you may need a higher amount. For, achieve, for losing weight, you may need to spend more time in physical activity. Uh, and mental health, we can say that mental health is being largely ignored on public health guidelines when we think about uh, on mental health benefits. So uh, even for the guidelines that are developed for mental health professionals, uh, mental health has been receiving very little attention. So even uh, for the ones that are graduated in studying exercise, the focus the, the, is being on how can we improve strength, how can we improve aerobic capacity. This is what have been trained on. Uh, and we have been very little, uh, we have been receiving very little training on how to make people feel good while they are exercising. And this explains part the lack of attention that guidelines from all areas uh, can give to or given to mental health outcomes. Yeah, I really appreciate that insight. And um also aware of how little of attention is given to physical activity and the connection to mental health. Um, I mean, that's really why why we're sitting here having this conversation today is because want to make sure that that's highlighted. But that interconnection between how physical activity impacts the brain and and is a protective measure for depression and anxiety is something that largely is missing in the message, in my opinion. Yes, and this is part of our current work is trying to advocate uh, to in, in, uh, for spreading this uh, message in that we should acknowledge the importance of uh, mental health in public health guidelines, in guidelines that uh, are trying to promote physical activity. And more than that, we have to uh, understand that making people feel better and not feel bad when they are exercising is something that's quite quite important and valuable. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm also aware of our evidence-based world, right? And in order to become evidence-based, you're looking at research that's at least a decade old, if not more. So I tend to pref prefer evidence-informed so that you're utilizing the latest research um, and adapting to what we know today versus um, something that we thought 10 to 15 years ago. But I I don't know. I'll get off my soapbox now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have some evidence, for example, that some evidence uh, takes about 20 to 30 years to be applied in their fields. So what we have been researching now may take decades to, to get through the, the right population to, to be known and mm -hmm. used by the ones who shouldn't yeah. use it. So there is a, a huge gap between what is being written and being published and what is actually being applied in the, in the mm -hmm. field. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me.
Um, can you speak to, I mean, we've been talking about public health, um, and I'd love for you to speak to the psychological determinants of physical activity. Mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, something uh, we are have been using and applied one theory of the self-determination theory, that it's how it's called it. And this theory uh, basically says that we have three uh, basic psychological needs. And these basic psychological needs are autonomy, our competence, and uh, is um, connectedness. So basically what this theory says that when you are doing something because you want to do, you this something, this behavior uh, is more likely to be sustainable and it's more likely to make you feel better when you are doing it. Uh, when you are doing something that you feel competent, it's the same. So you fulfill this basic psychological need. And when you are connected to this uh, behavior and somehow it's more likely to be sustainable and to make you feel better as well. So that's quite uh, quite interesting because uh, we have seen the CrossFit phenomenon. Mm -hmm. I, I think in the US it's pretty mm -hmm. much similar. And the CrossFit works very well with this theory in the sense that they create, uh, at least here uh, from my experience in Brazil, they create a sense of connectedness. They, they have like a strong community sense. They are they have behaviors that they adopt that make them identify as being a, a practicant of CrossFit. And they work with the sense of competence where everybody is trying to stimulate the others and to make them uh, complete and achieve the activity and achieve the goals and achieve the aims. And they are working hard for that. Uh, just a sense of autonomy that's not uh, eventually uh, that much uh, valid, valid, but the other two overweight this, uh, this lack of autonomy eventually. And the, in the sense that people, you, you can see from a distance that uh, someone is practicing CrossFit, for example. If you, you talk to someone who is practicing CrossFit, they will make very clear and very quickly that they are, they are doing CrossFit. And this is quite interesting from this perspective because it works with the fulfillment of to at least base psychological needs. And so what I'm trying to, to, to uh, discuss here is that when you do something uh, because you are doing it from yourself, because you're your own, because something that you enjoy, because it's something that you, you can see some value, and this is a behavior that can be sustainable in a long term and that you have more benefits. Uh, and when you are, uh, when you achieve success in that activity, in that behavior, when you are exercising and doing something that makes you feel competent, it's more likely to be beneficial for your mental health. And if you do something that, uh, any activity that makes you feel connected to that activity, to that environment, to that, to that, to that society, to that group, to that person, so that's the best activity for you. And this is uh, interesting because when you, uh, when you see what's being in the field, eventually some people are going to the psychiatrist, to the doctor, and the doctor say, okay, now you have, you have depression and now you have to walk or to run for 30 minutes every day. 
And some people say, okay, but I hate walking. I, I hate running. That's something that I just don't want to do. But I would be very happy in going to the gym or I would be very happy in cycling or I would be very happy in, in swimming. And why not? Uh, as, as I have um, said uh, earlier, the best exercise is the one that you do, do and the exercise you enjoy is the one that's more likely that you just do it. So when you have this uh, determinants and this basic psychological needs fulfilled, you are more likely to engage in this behavior. So even even small in uh, even little success in some activity make can make you feel better. And why not? So this is a, a change in the perspective on how we should uh, think about exercise. The main aim here is trying to promote well-being, is trying to make you feel better. So we have to reframe all the associated uh, factors. We have to work with this logic and trying to uh, change everything in terms of making people feel better. Well, and I also think about what you said, uh, you know, the term movement, right? I use the term movement instead of physical activity because physical activity can be really triggering for someone who has a complicated relationship with it. And so I hear what you're saying about like, we need to really shift perspective um, to find things that people enjoy doing, right? And that's going to be different. You know, what I enjoy, how I enjoy moving my body is likely different from how you enjoy moving your body. So there's the autonomy piece, right? And I would imagine like that's inherent in the CrossFit community because they enjoy moving their body in that way, right? And they chose to be part of that group too. So I love, I love that. So putting all of that together, um, I think you've kind of touched on it, but how do we get people to move? <laughs> hmm, that's a one million <laughs> question. <laughs> so uh, the response is very much individual. Uh, and I wouldn't ask you, how would you make someone eat better? And the best answer is trying to understand the relationship of the food or trying to understand the relationship of that, that person has, that, or the relationship that that person has with movement. So the best way to make someone move is trying to understand what are the barriers that that individual uh, face and trying to understand what would be feasible in that context. Uh, the individualization of the prescription of exercise and physical activity in general is the best way to deal with it. So there is no single answer for that. The first thing is trying to understand the the exercise that people values the most, the exercise that it, that that person has the best memories with. So, uh, for example, for as for people that just hate doing strength training you can try to promote, but it would be more challenging. If someone will just uh, register at the dreams, try, maybe try to go one, two times, and then we realize, oh, this is nothing. There's no value here. I'm, it's not for me. And so the best, the first thing is trying to understand the effective experience that that person has with different types of exercise. 
and then start doing. So the second thing is try is uh, valuing evil that uh, and discussing that even little amounts of physical activity can be beneficial. For some people uh, that are not active, uh, achieve the public health recommendations may be quite difficult and quite challenging. So valuing that even little amounts can be beneficial in terms of mental health can motivate people to keep engaging in exercise. So once again, it's trying to change the relationship that that person has with exercise. Lots of people, uh, when they hear that they should exercise, they oh no, exercise, it's painful, it's bad, it, I, don't, I don't feel good, it's uncomfortable. And why don't we try to explore what we, would be the best option for that individual? For And that the best option, uh, I mean, again, not just the exercise type, but every aspect of the context. Like some people may in, enjoy exercise, hearing some music without having any contact with other persons. And some other people will enjoy exercising with some other people. So this is something to be explored. Some people will say, okay, I, I love uh, exercising in the, at the evening. And some other people will prefer doing very early in the day. So every factor should be accounted uh, when we are trying to discuss how to incorporate physical activity in someone's life. And every detail should be accounted for and everything should be discussed. And uh, some people will say, like me, oh, I, I love doing intensive, exer intensive exercise, uh, intense and vigorous exercise. And this is not something that most people enjoy, but if I'm just doing a brisk, brisk walk, probably this is not interesting for me. So that's not fun at all. So, but if I'm going to the gym and pushing the heaviest weight I can, well, that's fun for me. And that's why we don't have a single answer for that, but the, we should, but we have many factors that we should have account for. And every person has its personal factors and its personal relationship with, with exercise. Mm, that makes... And this, the only way it's exploring. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, I am a national board certified health and wellness coach. And I remember years ago, um, sitting in a public health class thinking about lifestyle factors and their impact on chronic disease and thinking if we could just so support people to make long-term behavior change and then found health coaching and blah, 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 right? So, but that's the thing. Anytime I hear a client who says, I should be doing this, X, Y, Z, um, then exploring that should and finding out, okay, where what is that relationship like and what... What, what brings you joy when you move your body? How, how does moving your body and in what ways and all of those barriers? And there's a lot within all of that to kind of unpack and see how people enjoy moving. Yeah, indeed. And trying to explore the affective uh, memories, how people re relate to exercise, how they feel in, and the memories are... Uh, is, a, is, is an essential part of the physical activity and exercise promotion and behavioral change in general. So, um, Felipe, as we wrap up, I'm wondering if there's anything else that you feel is important for our listeners to know or understand. 
Well, uh, I think that we covered the most relevant topics and just uh, the things, the, the message that I want to, uh, to try to, to spread together with some colleagues is that first, some exercise is better than nothing. Uh, second, that any step counts. So that's the logic that doing just little amounts could be beneficial. Uh, and second message is that uh, you should try to understand what the exercise and the physical team that makes more sense for you. So that makes more sense to you is the and it's likely the the one that you enjoy the most and that you feel more comfortable and that would be uh, that the best exercise. And also something that's important to know, I don't know how can you insert this in, in the talk, but that I didn't cover it before, is that eventually the environment, the gene environment and some other exercise environments can be uh, very uh, challenging and can be uh, very distressful for some people. Like eventually people that are going to the gym and they are trying to start exercising and especially for overweight people or people that are just feeling disconnected to that environment that they just don't feel that are they they are going to the gym and seeing lots of fit people and strong people and they are overweight gin can be for example not just gin but uh, other exercise uh, places can be a bit distressful so something that we we should try to uh, work with people that are trying to experience uh, exercise in these places is that uh, you, sh you shouldn't focus on people that are very fit and people that are uh, just uh, trying to do to increase their strength and doing bad faces and wearing like, this little clothes and the, the focus should be on yourself and how you feel during the exercise. This is the most important thing. So gin is not exactly a, a, a healthy and a, a peaceful environment for many people that are just feel, feeling distressed by that. Indeed, gin can be a challenging, challenging place because you just feel disconnected. You just you don't feel connected as we explored in the self-determination theory question when you are feeling that you are attached to the person that, or to the to the context, to the place, you are more likely to engage. And when you feel don't feel it, it's just the chances are lower. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, Felipe, it's been a joy to have you and on today and to speak with you about this important topic. Thanks for shining some light on the importance of physical activity on mental health. Well, thank you very much for having me here once again, and it was a, a pleasure for me. Thank you for listening to Cassatt Conversations, your resource for exploring behavioral health topics. We hope you found today's conversation timely and meaningful. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you want to learn more, visit us at our blog at cassatteondemand.org.
Cassat Podcast Network. This podcast has been brought to you by the Cassat Podcast Network, located within the Center for the Application of Substance Abuse Technologies, a part of the School of Public Health at the University of Nevada, Reno. For more podcast information and resources, visit cassat.org.